0: Join me in 1 Corinthians chapter four, we're in our series of messages we're calling Real Church, walking verse by verse through 1 Corinthians. And today a message we're calling Leading by Example. Let me ask you, how do you learn best? Many of us would say we learn best when we have somebody actually demonstrate how to do something. And this is why YouTube has become a go-to resource for people doing some kind of home project, or doing some kind of working on their car is like, let me see if I can do this by watching somebody do it. Some time ago at our house, we had one of those bathroom exhaust fans go out and I went to YouTube. Can I fix this? I don't think I can, but let me see if I can do this before I have to pay somebody else. And I discovered by watching somebody on YouTube, hey, I think I can do this. I don't actually have to rewire anything. There's actually an outlet up there that I can plug in, unplug. And so I sure enough, I went to Lowe's, got the replacement fan, did it myself. And I felt pretty good about it. But better than a YouTube demonstration is to have a friend be with you in person and show you how to do something. And I've had that happen in my life. This is a number of years ago now. One of my door window motors went went bad. And so I could not roll up and down my window. And so I mentioned it to a friend. He said, you know, I can fix that get the part and come over to my house and we can fix it. And so sure enough, it was amazing. He unscrewed that the handle on the inside of the car and a couple other screws. And then he started yanking on that, that door panel inside the car. And I thought, I didn't, I didn't know you could do that. And it didn't look like you should do it. He was pulling on it. It was (laughs) popping and snapping. I thought this is going to be really messed up. But sure enough, he knew what he was doing. And those were just those clips popping loose. And he he got that and set it to the side and then targeted that motor and replaced that door window motor. And man, I had a a motor working just as good. The window was going up and down. Well, several years after that, it happened to the other door window motor on the other side of the car. And I, I had to think, do I take it back to my friend and bother him to do that? I thought, I think I can do this. I think I remember how he did it. So sure enough, I bought the part. And in my own driveway, this time, I unscrewed a few screws and started yanking on that door and all the popping and all that. And I got the new motor in and it worked. And you should have seen me strutting around the house. Because <laughs> that was the most ambitious repair i would ever done in my life. And so I went in and I got Joy. I said, Joy, you got to come out here. Do you remember yesterday when that motor didn't work? Remember that window didn't go up and down? She's like, yes. Well, push it now, touch it, you know, push the button when it's going up and down. And I was, I was all puffed up. That's the word we saw in our text last time. I was all puffed up. Your man did that joy. Look what I did. So. <laughs> but really all credit goes to my friend who demonstrated how to do it. Just trying to illustrate, listen, we need instruction. And we're going to see that in our text today, but we're also going to see in our text. We need examples. Yeah. We need with cars and houses and gardening, and whatever else you're into, but we need it spiritually. We need the instruction of God's word, but we also need people in our lives who demonstrate, hey, this is what it it looks like when you take these great principles, and these great teachings of scripture, and an ordinary person like me, this is what it looks like when you attempt to put that into practice through the help of the Spirit. So we're going to see Paul calling for that in our text. So let's go to it now, 1 Corinthians 4, and we'll begin in verse 14. Paul writes as the Spirit guides him, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, But to admonish you as my beloved children, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. That is why I sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? See first with me this, that you and I are to see the church as a close spiritual family. We're to see the church as a close spiritual family. We notice that here in verse 14. Notice how Paul describes his relationship with these Corinthians. Verse 14 again, I do not wish to write these things or do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you, here it is, as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ, Jesus through the gospel. And so we know the church in Corinth was estranged from Paul. Many of them were divided up even against Paul. So here in these first four chapters, he's been reestablishing, reminding them who he is. So chapter one and chapter four, he reminds them, I'm an apostle. That's the role I have called by God. He had that apostolic first century apostles authority. He reminds them of that twice. But also we see in chapters 3 and 4, he tells them that I'm a servant of Christ. I'm a servant who belongs to Christ. But here, he speaks to that special bond he has in particular with his church in Corinth. He says, I am your father. Now, what type of father is Paul to them? Spiritually, he has a fatherly relationship with them because of the role God gave him in bringing these Corinthians to Christ. That's what he says in verse 15. I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul preached to them in Corinth. They responded to the gospel. They experienced the new birth. They became the very children of God through faith in Jesus. But Paul says, but there's a sense in which through all of that, you also became my children. We have a parent-child bond here. And notice here, Paul then contrasts himself with all the other teachers they might have. People like Apollos, people like Cephas, and others who might be teaching there. Here he calls them out. He says, there are others who would be guardians for you. In fact, he says, you have countless guardians. The word he uses literally in the Greek language can mean 10,000, but he's just using that by way of hyperbole. The ESV that I'm reading from just brings it over. You have many, you have countless guardians. And he's appealing to that first century role that they knew at that time. Many families would have somebody as a servant who would be the caretaker of the children, uh, helping them with their education, but they didn't replace the father. And so that's what he's saying, you have others teaching you, you have others influencing you spiritually there in Corinth, but you only have one who brought Jesus to you. And therefore I'm like a father to you and I love you. Did you notice what he calls them? He calls them beloved children. So for all the problems that we've seen and will see in this Corinthian church, Paul still has great affection for them. He's not giving up on them. As dysfunctional as they are, he's still in there with them because to Paul, you are my beloved children. He loves them. They are family in the lord so this letter he's writing is not some cold theological essay but it's a passionate appeal for them to repent and refocus on christ paul says here when i writing you like this quite strongly the goal is not to shame you it's not to embarrass you even last time when we saw paul employ that literary device of sarcasm still the goal was not to humiliate them they had every reason to be ashamed but Paul didn't want to leave them there. He loved them. The end goal was to bring them to health. You ever had somebody do that to you? Point out some error that you've made, some mistake that you've made. And don't you feel a bit embarrassed? Depending on what that thing is, they point out. You feel embarrassed. But if they love you, that's not the goal. They, they know it's going to be an awkward conversation. You might be, feel a bit ashamed for a moment. But they love you. They're trying to get you past that momentary feeling of shame to feeling, now, okay, I'm restored now. I've corrected the problem. Thanks for loving me enough. This is what Paul's saying. Yes, I understand you feel humiliated. You feel ashamed. In some sense, you should, but that's not the goal. Notice he says, here's the goal. I'm admonishing you. What's it mean to admonish? That word in the original language means to advise someone concerning the dangerous consequences of some action. So it's the idea of warning. And so Paul, seeing himself as a spiritual father to them, says, so this is my task as a, as a spiritual dad. I've got to warn you about some things. By the way, do you know that Paul taught actual fathers and actual families? This is part of their role as well. We see that in Ephesians 6, 4, when he wrote this, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That word instruction there in Ephesians is really the same word here he's using to the Corinthians, the idea of admonishing them, to to warn them, to correct them. So he's saying, I'm relating to you as a loving father. I'm warning you of the path you're on because I love you to bring you back to health. Now, before we come back to the Paul Corinthian context... Let's make some application for ourselves here in our actual homes. And so I've got a word here now for you who are fathers. I think this applies also to mothers, certainly. But let me ask our fathers in the room. Fathers, are you taking to heart this God-given role in your very family? I could ask it this way. In your home, fathers, are you loving your children? Are you teaching them? And even this role, are you admonishing your children? You and I know it's not good to leave our children with no guidance. God has designed for parents to love and guide and even appropriately correct their children out of love. It would be a terribly unloving thing to do for the children entrusted to us to not step up to our vital role of spiritual leadership. So let me ask the question this way. Are you giving your children vital spiritual guidance and instruction? It's one of the sad realities in many Christian homes across America where at some point before the children are raised, parents will kind of take the hands off of the spiritual instruction of their children. Some of them is high school when the teenager says, I don't want to go anymore. I don't know why, but some parents go, oh, okay, you don't have to go anymore. Or maybe some of them middle school, well, they start being resistant middle school. And I think the faulty logic goes something like this. I don't want to make them come to church because then they'll never want to go to church. But we don't do this in almost any other area of life. Joy and I were talking this morning. We thought it'd be like if you were taking your kids to swim lessons and your child said, I don't want to go to swim lessons. The water's cold or whatever reason. I don't like it. You think now, we're, we're going to do this because this could save your life. There's something you're going to learn here that really could save your life one day. And isn't that the same idea when we bring our kids to church? It's one of the places they're going to get spiritual instruction that could save their very souls. So we don't back off of this. This, this would be spiritual neglect not to help our children this way. So, so can I just speak practically to this? If you have a child who doesn't want to come, first of all, be sympathetic. Are there Sundays when you don't want to come? <laughs> right? There are. It's humid today. Like 100% humidity. I bet some of you felt like, I like, oof. I don't. I want to go back home. So it's normal. What, what we do with our children when they don't want to come, it's a very normal human. Our flesh doesn't want to do the right thing sometimes. What we want to do is positively model for them. Look, I don't always feel like coming either, but, but here's what we do. We overcome our flesh for, for what is of utmost importance. Let me model that for you. As parents, we want to take that, that gracious Joshua 24, 15 attitude where we say to our children, you know, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord graciously. And, and we have this attitude. I can't, I can't make you believe in Jesus. I can't make you say that if I could, I would. I can't make you understand what a treasure we have in Christ. But while you live with me, until you're launched out, I have a responsibility under God to bring you up and point you to Christ. You you can believe I can't make you do it. I pray you will, but I have this responsibility. So you can be very loving. What you want to do is to to lead your family so consistently, positively this way that your child will understand, well, that would be a colossal waste of breath if I were to try to convince my parent not to go. Like, it's just so obvious. This is what we do. And, And again, gracious, loving all through that. So let me ask this question. Dads, moms, how well do these words describe your role? Particularly dads. How well does this describe your role as a dad? These three words, love, laugh, lead. Do your kids know that you love them? Is, is that what you give off to them, this warmth? I have no doubt my dad loves me. Or how about laughter? Is that the atmosphere you bring in home? I, I know there are moments where you have to be firm, and I know in, in messy discipline situations there's real emotion, anger in those moments. But, but dominantly, do your kids know that dad's enjoyable? He's enjoyable to be around but then this word lead, does that describe you? Do your kids understand that you are leading them in a clear direction? Can't make them do it. You can't get in their heart and mind, change their mind, but, but it's un, un, there's no question. It's unambiguous that dad is leading me toward, me toward Jesus, to, to a life of discipleship. That's what he wants for me. So back to our context now, let's ask this question. So We've been applying just for a moment to our actual homes. Paul, though, in that role as a spiritual father, he's speaking to them. Let me ask you this. Are you a spiritual parent for somebody? Are you a spiritual parent for somebody? Is there anybody in this world who looks at you as a spiritual father or mother of them? In other words, do you have spiritual descendants? Let me ask it this way. Are you consistently seeking to share the gospel with others? We know it's God as the one, he's the one who saves, but how does he do it? He uses his gospel. That's proclaimed by his children to bring new people into his family as they trust in Jesus. Isn't it amazing the role that he gives men and women to play in bringing actual physical children into the world? It's a miracle of new life. How does God populate his world? He involves human beings in that. It's it's an amazing privilege. But then also we come spiritually. How does God create more children for himself? He gives us a role to play. We get to be spiritual parents in a sense, like Paul's talking about, as we share the gospel and as he graciously saves, we see new people in there. Listen, what an amazing miracle that we get to participate in with God. And are you joining in your responsibility there? Can I remind you, we have the wristbands out in the foyer and uh, we have those there as you can wear as a daily reminder of that joyful privilege of sharing the good news. And when you wear one each day, it's that reminder. Oh yeah, as I get up this morning, I can't necessarily make these encounters happen always, but I'm ready, God, I'm willing. Remember, there are some images on that wristband to remind you of just at least one way to share the gospel. Obviously, share the gospel any way you want to that's biblical, but there's one method. And if you don't know what those symbols mean, even our website will remind you of one method of sharing the gospel with other people. But it's a privilege to do that. And I'm just asking the question, are you sharing the gospel that you might become somebody's spiritual parent in this sense? Here's another question as we just apply this first part of our text, as we talk about family affection, do you have family affection for your fellow Christians in the church? Again, Paul looked at these troubled Corinthians and says, "Ah, oh, you're my beloved children. But do you know the dominant way he talks about these Corinthians? Already in just in these first four chapters, he regards them and calls them brothers seven times already. But do you know how many times he's going to call them brothers throughout 1 Corinthians in total? 38 times he's going to call these troubled Corinthians, oh, you're my brothers. In chapter 15, he's going to say, you're my beloved brothers. And so out of love, he's rebuking them. He's admonishing them. But all the while, he's affirming them, oh, but I love you all the way. So here in our local church, do you have that family affection for other people here? You do know it's not our goal. We're not aspiring to be mere acquaintances that sit beside each other once a week. We want to increasingly treat each other more and more like family, and that's going to mean things like this, that it will require a commitment from us to each other. It's joining the church, and of course, we never rush anybody in that process, but if you've been visiting for a while and you're thinking this might be my church family, oh, think of us as family, and part of it is joining. I want to join, and we can help you with that process. And then as one who joins, then prioritize active involvement in this church family, not just being on the roll, but hey, I'm there. Actively expressing love and service to other people. And can I give another practical word here? We have a number of people joining the church in these days. Can I remind our longtime members, let's all of us continue to open our hearts wider to welcome people in. Not just into the membership process to have them actually join, but, but particularly get them into the relationships of the church. So in the new member process, I'm always urging our newest members, hey, find your life group. Visit several, land in one of those eventually, and really connect there. But it's essential that our life groups also do their part, that when that person takes that kind of nervous step to enter into that room, all those established relationships, hey, make sure all of us who've been here a while, that we open our hearts up, like we're not just gonna give you that obligatory, good morning, glad you're here, but start opening wide that they might come. Now, here's what I tell the new members, be patient with that process. It's hard to make friends as adults. It takes a little longer than when you're children sometimes. So just be there, be persistent, keep coming, go to the social things that happen, but be there. Take the initiative too as a new person. Listen, we we want to treat each other increasingly, patiently as family Well, Paul has another word here about discipline in the family, and we're going to hold that for next time. That's verses 18 through 21. That's where he says, do you want me to come with a rod or do you want me to come with gentleness and love? He's going to explain that in chapter five. So we'll hold that for there. So we've just been looking, first of all, here with a number of uh, secondary points of application. This primary point so far, see the church as a close spiritual family. But now this, set and follow good spiritual examples. Set and follow good spiritual examples. And that takes us back to verse 16. I urge you then, here it is, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. First notice this, that same family affection that he has for the Corinthians, doesn't he apply the same thing to Timothy here? He says, he's my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. But now notice how comfortable Paul is in appealing to himself as an example of the Christian life for these Corinthians. He says, you are to be imitators of me. So notice this, Paul not only wants them to have right beliefs, that's why he's admonishing them. I want you to think right, but I want you to behave correctly as well by looking at my example. Paul wants them to hear his words, but also follow his ways. And he's able to call them to that. So the both are important, right? That we can't just have right theology if we're not having a corresponding, aligned lifestyle with it. Have you ever met a Christian like that? That has the right theology in a lot of ways, but you look at their life and think, but that's not like Christ. It's possible to be a bit like a Pharisee. You can get all the right doctrines, you can be proud of your right theology, and then you can not implement that in a way that looks like Jesus. Let me just say it this way. Did you know that not everybody who is theologically conservative is spiritually healthy? Now, the, the, the remedy is not to become theologically liberal. It's <laughs> not an either or. Of course, we, we must hold to sound doctrine, the truth of Scripture. Absolutely. That's what it means to be conservative. I believe the doctrines of the Scripture as given in the Scripture. But being conservative also means that I'm gonna live this out like the Bible tells me to. So what about grace? What about forgiveness? What about kindness? What about patience? So we, we don't want to say I've got right thinking, but I don't follow the ways of a Christian in this. No, I have to have right theology, must have it, can't be an error. But now I need to follow in a way that looks like Jesus, where people will be attracted to the gospel as I speak this truth, In love, Paul says, listen, I've given you words, but look at my ways. And he says, this is why I'm sending Timothy. Paul intends himself to come back to Corinth to bring about correction. But he says, I'll send Timothy and he's going to remind you of my ways. Timothy, of course, a close ministry associate of Paul's, a child in the faith. As we saw, he knows the ways of Paul, what Paul teaches in all the churches. He's going to remind the Corinthians. Hey, remember what you saw in Paul, how he lived? You're following the example of these false teachers. The one Paul calls here arrogant don't follow them. That's not the way. Look at Paul. Follow his example. And we think in this context, we can see what Paul had in mind. Paul modeled for them a reliance on God's wisdom rather than following the wisdom of the world. Hasn't Paul talked about that up to this point? Paul modeled for them also a confidence in the gospel itself. No other message. Remember he said, I determined to know nothing among you, but Christ and him crucified. Paul modeled that confidence in the gospel. Paul also gave an example of humility and faithfulness as a servant of Christ, as a steward of the mysteries of God. And Paul and all that modeled a deep love for Jesus and a faithfulness to Christ, no matter the cost. He could comfortably say to them, though Paul knew he was not perfect. Hey, I urge you to be an imitator of me. This is the way to follow Jesus. He's going to tell this again in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he's going to say this too: be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. He told the Thessalonians this, 1 Thessalonians 1 6, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And listen to what he told the Ephesians. He told them in Ephesians 5 1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Believer, is that your heart this morning? Lord I want to know you so well that I might trust you, but also that I might imitate you, that I'd be Christ-like in how I live this life as, Lord, I look to you. Paul said, if you, if you look at my life, you'll see what it looks like to be someone who's following after Christ. So let's, once again, let's drop down to some application of this. First of all, do you have examples to follow in your Christian life? Do you have examples to follow in your Christian life? Listen, this is why it's so important to be involved in a local church that's healthy. There is a lot of good Bible teaching online, probably even more bad teaching online, but there are some amazing Bible teachers online, some on the radio, and uh, you can feed yourself there, but, but that's great, that's, that's good words, good doctrine, excellent. But what you don't get from online teachers is you don't get the life, you don't get to watch the life, and you need both in your life. And I love that we can be in a local church, and there are examples throughout the church that you and I can look to and find encouragement. In fact, can I tell you, there are men and women in this church, a lot of them, who I find exemplary for me, that inspire me in my own walk for Christ. And it's it's a regular occurrence when I think about you and how you encourage me. I've seen in our church believers who have demonstrated faithfulness in their suffering. And that does not go without notice. I see that and I aspire to be like that in suffering. I've watched many believers through the years demonstrate a faithfulness to Christ even when their hearts are broken in grief. Great examples of faithfulness in that. I've seen believers with with prayer lives that inspire me, other spiritual disciplines that inspire me. I want to keep following in that example. I've seen quiet, humble faithfulness in many. People serving the Lord when it would be easier not to. It's just very inspiring, not getting paid to do it, but there they go serving. People still growing in Christ. I love this. And many of our senior adults, you would think maybe that they would have the idea that, you know, I've learned enough. I've, you're not going to tell me anything I don't already know, but faithful to be here, faithful in life groups, faithful even in grow groups to grow deeper together. It's just very much a great example. But also people in the church who are faithful examples of being an evangelist, that they are bold to take the gospel to others. And that has spurred me on as well. And then of course, we all have these examples in the church those who've left us, left everything at the call of God to go take the gospel to the nations, to people who have no access to the gospel. And we're all inspired by that. There are great examples around here, but here's a question for you. Can you sincerely call other believers to follow your example? Can you say like Paul to anybody in the church, I urge you then be imitators of me. Could you do that? And of course, if you think about our pastors, we have to be able to say that. Not not that we think we get it perfectly, but that's part of the role, right? We can't just preach it and not live it. We're aspiring to live it as well. In fact, I thought about this long before being a pastor in this role. I certainly know it's part of this role to, to, to live what I'm preaching. But even in my own home, to make sure that what I proclaim here and what I say I believe is also lived out at home. In fact, there's a sense in which I believe I'm accountable to my own children, so I've heard about those pastors who the children will tell you when they grow up that, you know, my dad was like a great showman. He, he spoke this way in church, but at home, he was very angry, very profane. And, you know, that does great damage to a child. That, that would be very difficult for that child to believe, seeing that level of hypocrisy. So I never wanted to put my children at that type of situation, that type of disadvantage. So I want to, I want to model at home this. And so yes, accountable to my wife, you know, yes, I'm the spiritual leader of our home, graciously leading, but a wife who can ask me anything, I'm accountable to my wife. But through the years with three daughters, uh, having those other sets of eyes on me, I felt accountable to them. One of my favorite examples of that, and there's just hundreds of hundreds of examples because they're always watching. But I remember watching TV and, and, and they knew that if something came on, we're watching decent television, but you can't control the commercials that come on. And sometimes you can have that image show up, somebody maybe not wearing enough clothing in that commercial. Uh, I look away. And so many times through the years as I would be there, we're looking away, I'd be looking eyeball to eyeball with my daughter, I'm looking at Lauren here. She would, she'd be the one I think about Lauren. She'd be looking at me. I thought, oh, there's accountability. Had I not looked away and I'm still gawking at the screen. I'm setting a bad example. I appreciated the accountability, but in so many other ways, listen, your children, they get to watch you. And I think about my pastor's home, you know, they, they get to watch how I treat cashiers, how I treat waiters, how the scriptures shape our worldview, not just publicly, but privately our dependence upon God, how we've handled persecution when it's come, how we've handled grief, how we've handled illness. And of course my kids be quick to tell you, Oh, it hasn't been perfect. It's not flawless, but hopefully my kids can say, oh, but it was sincere. This is what it looks like to struggle forward in Christ. It's, it's real. By the way, as I'm thinking about this example for my children, I am so grateful for a church that I've over and over again been able to point to and say, but there's these great men and women in the church. I'm so grateful they've had examples even outside of our home of sincere, beautiful faith in the church. So here's a question. Are you an example in your home? Show your children that this is not some religious act, but this is real. But let's bring it back to the church. That's Paul's context here. Be an example as a Christian believer here in the church. We have that responsibility to each other. Would you model what it looks like to have passion for Christ to the other children and youth in the church, but also to the other adults in the church? Would you model humility and joy in Christ? Would you model what it looks like to forgive others when you're wronged? Would you model faithfulness to God's word in a culture that demands otherwise? Would you show them what it looks like? No, but we're walking with Christ, believing the words. Would you model a life of prayerful dependence on the Lord? Would you model faithful service in the body of Christ? Would you model courage to do whatever, wherever God calls you to obey him? Just a few more questions before we close. Join me in asking these questions. If everyone in the church Had my level of devotion, what would our church be like? How about this question? If everyone in the church served like me, what ministries would flourish? What ministries would die? If everyone shared the gospel like I aspire to share the gospel, how many people in Richmond would hear the gospel in this year? Listen, set an example. See the examples around you. Let's spur one another on to love and ministry. Let's be that example. So I started this message by talking about YouTube and how sometimes you can go to YouTube and you can discover I can, I can do that task because I saw somebody do it. Can I tell you more times than not, I go to YouTube and discover I can't do it. <laughs> and what happens is oftentimes I think, can I take on that car repair? No, that's too complicated for me. Or certainly this, I don't have the tools for that. Yeah, if I had the jack and the the hydraulic system or that long socket wrench with the adapter on it, maybe, but I don't have all that. And so I back away from it. But can I tell you spiritually, you have everything you need to follow Christ. Consider it. You have every tool available to you. First of all, you have God himself. Do you know the same spirit involved in the creation of the world? If you're a believer in Jesus, he lives in you. That's the same spirit, the same one who raised Jesus from the dead. He lives in you. You have everything you need. What do you have beyond him? Is if you needed more. Oh, he has given you his word. You have his ongoing guidance in the scriptures, the living and active word of God. You have it that he can guide you. You have the Lord himself, you have his word. And listen, here's what else he's given you. He's given you the church. He's given you here, not a perfect church, but a healthy church aspiring toward Christ. And here you have examples and brothers and sisters to come alongside you when you fall, people to pick you up, when you're you're perplexed, people to to rally to. He's given us everything we need in in this life, in this church to follow the Lord as we should. But here's the question as we go, do you know Jesus? By trusting in Jesus, you get to be a part of his family. And simultaneously that, becoming a part of his family, being one of his children, you can become a part of this family as well. To have God as your father, to have these as your brothers and sisters, but your move is humility today to acknowledge that you need a savior, that you can't save yourself, that it was Jesus the perfect one, none of us perfect. Jesus lived perfectly, loved perfectly. Jesus died sacrificially for our sins on a cross. What amazing love. Was raised from the dead, victoriously conquering sin and death and judgment. And the promise of the Bible, if you believe in Jesus, you will not perish but you'll have everlasting life. Today, would you trust in Jesus? Become his child today through faith in Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, what an amazing savior you are. And we want to take these moments to apply what we've heard. Lord, especially I pray for those who are hearing their need of a savior, that they can never be good enough on their own. They need to be rescued. And Lord, would you, would you bring them to faith today? Just as you did for us, show them their need show them that you're the way. And Lord, I pray that they would put their faith in you. God, would you do that great work of saving today? Then Lord, those of us who are believers, so many points of possible application day. Once again, we ask you help us, Lord, by your spirit to make the changes you're calling us. Lord, your word has admonished us and we want to take it to heart. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.